If you'll turn in your Bibles to Ephesians, the first chapter, as we've been speaking for a number of weeks on the Lost Truth series. This is one aspect, one subject of the Lost Truth series that, to a great degree, I don't believe is lost. Because we still hear a lot about it, and it is the foundational principle of what we believe. Let's begin reading in Ephesians 1 and 7 as we speak this morning about the gathering. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. And here is the mystery revealed, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven And which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Now, I would just make the point, as I said a few weeks ago, there's only one subject in the first 10 or 11, 12 verses of Ephesians that is covered twice And that is predestination. That's very interesting. To me, it says we should know twice as much about it. And sadly, so very few people today know anything about what it means. That's not our subject this morning. We're focusing on verse 10. As we consider where Paul says that he might gather together in one all things in Christ. We want to talk about, notice he says the dispensation of the fullness of times. We want to talk about the dispensation that he refers to there. And the gathering and what all of that means. Now, I will point out that the Apostle Paul, in my opinion, he is reaching a fever pitch in his delivery when he gets to verse 10. I mean, look at the language. Look at the poetry of the language and the just the amazing literary way in which he just hits the top in verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times... He, Christ, might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. Notice he says, even in him. The whole focus of all of these verses is Christ Jesus. Now, I've said before, it's sad to see in the last 50, 60, 70 years, there's so much emphasis placed on the sinner. The sinner needs to do this. The sinner needs to do that. The sinner's experience. And it's great. We need to serve the Lord. We need to repent. All those things are important if you understand the context of them. But the focus of the Word of God is on the Son of God. Focusing not on the sinner, but on the Savior of the sinner. You see? And the Apostle Paul, as I said, he's reaching a fever pitch. Now, as I began to study this, I thought, well, this is going to be easy to preach. Because, I mean, it's it's the resurrection. (laughs) But as I began to study it, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to preach it. (laughs) It's so big. It's so amazing. It's so glorious. The fever pitch level that Paul reaches right here is something that is not to be overlooked. You say, yeah, well, you know, the resurrection. Yeah, we all understand that. That's kind of like what I said last week about where are you going Sunday morning? I'm going to church. (laughs) No big deal. It is a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's your future. It's my future. It's all of mankind's future. Now, listen, for Christians, history is the working out of the will of God. God's plan of redemption. Now, listen to me very carefully. This does not mean that every occurrence that takes place is designed or ordered by God. A lot of people think that. A lot of people are misled to think that. 
That God causes everything that happens. That's not what the scripture teaches. His character is so holy and he is so wise and all knowing. He doesn't have to cause everything that happens. And knowing what's going to happen is much, much different than causing something to happen. I know about World War II, World War I, the Civil War. I know about all those things. But I would be crazy if I said, yeah, well, I caused them. Because <laughs> you know, I'm way after that time. Well, the same thing applies to God. God knows all things. Everything that happens doesn't mean that he causes them. You see? And he's much wiser and much greater than me. Now, there are some things that are going to happen. That's why it says in the book of Galatians, he says, when the fullness of time had come. That's a very similar phrase and word according to the dispensation of the fullness of times. You see, when God said, it's time for my son to go, there's nothing going to stop that. Now, can we see the evidence of the providence of God throughout history? Absolutely. History was a minor of mine in college. History is one of my favorite subjects. I'm surprised I didn't major in history. Because that's a lot of what I spend time doing is looking at history. I love history. And sadly, the secular historians of the world can see no thread of the presence of God throughout history. And yet I see it on every page of history. Because history is his story. I want to give you a few quotes here from some secular historians, non-Christian historians and philosophers and writers. These were primarily from the 1800s. So this is a little age to give to you, but I want you to hear it. Because we as Christians believe that history is his story and there is a thread of redemption running through every decade, every year of time, does not mean that everybody sees it that way. Oscar Wilde, the Irish playwright, said, You give the criminal calendar of Europe to your children under the name of history. (laughs) G.N. Clark, who was a professor of economic history, that's very important to my message this morning, as you'll see in a moment. In his inaugural lecture at Cambridge, he said, There is no secret and no plan in history to be discovered. I do not believe that any future consummation could make sense of all the irrationalities of preceding ages. Kind of sounds like woke culture today, doesn't it? (laughs) If it could not explain them, still less could it justify them. In his introduction to the history of Europe, H.A.L. Fisher, an English historian, wrote, Men wiser and more learned than I have discovered in history a plot, a rhythm, a predetermined pattern. These harmonies are concealed from me. I can see only one emergency following another as wave follows upon wave. Only one great fact, only one safe rule for the historian, that in the development of human destinies, the play of the contingent and the unforeseen, meaning that it's just a bunch of happenstance and emergencies that occur throughout history. And I really like, I'm being facetious, I really like what French author Andre Moreau says, and I quote, The universe is indifferent. Who created it? Why are we here on this puny mud heap spinning in infinite space? I have not the slightest idea, and I am quite convinced that no one has the least idea. What a tragedy. But learned men such as that would have that view of history that there's no plot, there's no plan, there's no rhythm, there's no undercurrent. But I tell you, child of grace, the undercurrent of redemption has been the theme of all of history. And in this verse right here, where the Apostle Paul says, in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he would gather together in Christ all things, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. Hebrews 1 and 1 says this, and this is a thread throughout the scripture. It's it's very dominant. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets in the Old Testament, 
hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. (laughs) Notice he didn't say just world, he said worlds. Now, you see, this is a thread throughout the scripture. It's a thread throughout history. If you look at history from a Christian worldview, there's so many things that could be stated about history, providential dealings of God from the times of the Revolutionary War when creeks would rise and the Revolutionary Army under George Washington would get away from the British Army just in time or they'd cross the river at a time that the British weren't expecting it. I mean, over and over, you understand your freedom today is based on the providential dealings of God. And your freedom is not a license to do whatever you want to do. It is a proof that God has preserved His church through many, many providences. And the thread of history proves out the redemption timeline. And you're here today because God saw fit to allow you to be here. Through providences, through mercies. And you you say, well, I don't really know what the purpose of my life is. Don't sound like the historians here. Don't sound like these men that sees no purpose in life. You have a purpose in life. And it is to serve God and to believe the story of redemption. That's all of time. This word dispensation. I began to study this. I thought I've read this thousands of times. And yet the word of God is like a diamond. You come back and you look at it from different directions and different angles. And it just says not conflicting things, but just different and glorious things to you. You know, I love the definitions of the words. And so as I looked up the word dispensation, I really was confused. Because the word dispensation is the Greek word economia. Economia. And if that sounds familiar, it's where we get our word economy. Now, when we think about economy, what do we think about? Wall Street or the Fed or whatever different things you keep up with related to things like that. We don't think about what the original meaning of this word economy was. And it is the administration of a household. You find this Greek word occurring in other places that relate to the home, to the house. And if you take it back to its basic root, the first economy that was ever established flowed from the household of Adam, right? The economy, the administration of the household, providing for the household, how the household is run. That's what the word dispensation means. And when I read that, I was just stunned. How have I never noticed that before? (laughs) And so I began to read and began to study. Some of you may be quirkier than me. I know I'm very quirky. But I just have a personal satisfaction when things come back together. As a pastor, to know that the church is at peace. And from old to young... I'm not saying everything is always wine and roses, but at least the people of God are trying to serve God and trying to love one another. Especially when people are at odds. There is nothing that pleases me more. I just have this personal satisfaction with so-and-so reconciled. It might be husband and wife. It might be friends. It especially applies to our young people. (laughs) A few weeks ago, I preached a sermon. I actually published this on the podcast because I thought it was necessary. That we don't judge each other by who we are when we're 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. You can't do that. It's wrong. Parents, it's wrong to judge. Well, that person at 12, you know, said something that I didn't like what they said. (laughs) Give them a chance. They're going to be 22 one day. (laughs) I joked and said, you know, I'm so glad Sister Tracy didn't know me when I was 15. It would have been a train wreck. (laughs) Glad she didn't know me till I was 25. If you dismiss someone because of what they did at 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 17, 18, 19, 20, whatever. If you dismiss someone, then you're no better than the brother in the prodigal son story. You want to know who the real prodigal was? It was the brother who stayed at home. He was the real prodigal. 
He was the real problem child. Because the one who went away came back and was a different person because of the grace of God. And furthermore, I'll go off on a very brief tangent. That's why the woke culture and the rewriting of history is so wrong. It's not just, well, they're going to tear a statue down. That's the least of the problem. It is a direct attack on God and the story of redemption. Because God throughout history has used broken sinners who led lives that were lives of sin. He's used sinners all throughout history. You see, the woke culture and the rewriting of history is dismissing the providence of God. Hopefully that's my only tangent for today. (laughs) But there's nothing that pleases me more to see reconciliation. This situation worked out. These people got back together. These friends were reconciled. The other day we were cleaning out our basement and there's little giblets of stuff everywhere in the basement. And I have one of these projectors in the basement. And somebody who will remain nameless, I really don't know who it was, but somebody lost the little white back cover of that projector remote. Nothing irritates me more than something like that. And so that's been lost for a couple years. And so I helped Sister Lila get over behind the big couch in the basement and we were digging stuff out, throwing most of it away because it was all covered with dust and grasshoppers and stuff. I'm sorry, Sister Tracy, I shouldn't have said that, (laughs) that we have grasshoppers in our basement. I'm sorry. But you know you do too. And so as she was throwing stuff in the trash, I just noticed a little white thing. It didn't connect with me until it was in the bottom of the trash bag. And for several days, I had it on my mind. I'm going to go look through that trash because that might be that cover. And this is really dumb, I know. But I went in the basement and poured that trash bag out. And I was filtering through the trash. Look, and there it was. And I wanted to shout when I found the little white back cover of that projector remote. And I was so happy when I went in there. It fit perfect and just, you know, it clicked in there. I thought, it's a good day. (laughs) That's how crazy I am. You know, something is back where it's supposed to be that never should have been lost. That just makes me feel good. That's so silly, I know. There's many things around the house that I just let lay there for a long time because I think maybe they'll turn back up. I've lost some keys right now. I've lost a set of earbuds that I really, really liked right now. And I'm just laying low, I'm being patient, and maybe those things will turn back up. Because I love it when things come back together. That's silly, isn't it? In a much greater way, our God in heaven is going to bring things back together. In the administration of His household affairs, His ultimate goal is to bring back together the children of God and reconcile everything in one, capital O, and His name is Jesus Christ. Economios is the word that we use for economy today. In the economy of Jesus Christ, of the Lord, and in the structure and the running of His household, He will gather back together. And all the little back covers of the remotes will be put back on. That's silly, I know. All the things that are way more important than that will be made right again. As I've told you before, the great quote from the real hero of the Lord of the Rings, Samwise Gamgee, Whenever he wakes up after he and Frodo have been delivered from the side of Mount Doom when they thought they were going to die and be covered by lava, <laughs> Samwise looks at Gandalf. When he wakes up and he realizes he's alive, he said, has every sad thing come untrue? Don't tell me for one second that Tolkien didn't have some idea about the story of redemption. That whole trilogy, that whole set of books is about the story of redemption in that world that he created. C.S. Lewis, in his great Chronicles of Narnia, That great Christian philosopher 
The whole focus of the Chronicles of Narnia, and we've started reading it again. I realize that this is about the fourth time that we've gone through reading it. And I realize my younger two girls might not remember that they probably do and they're probably rolling their eyes. But I'm reading it again and I can't wait to read every page. It is a story of redemption where Aslan, the figure of Christ that C.S. Lewis creates in his world, makes everything right again. Will every sad thing come untrue? You got it. Every sad thing will come untrue. Are you sad this morning? Then when you are in the presence of God one day, every sad thing will come untrue. Sister Julie just lost her father. I lost my father two years ago yesterday. I tell you, when I see the Lord's face and when I see those loved ones again, every sad thing will come untrue. It'll be like it never happened. That's a dream, isn't it? There's a song out there that I hate. It's got a great melody. Brother Jim knows which ones I'm fixing to talk about. I did it my way. You know, Frank Sinatra, Elvis, they sing, I did it my way. And I wouldn't change a thing. I'll tell you right now, if I had a time machine and could go back to different points in my life, I'd do so many things so different. I tell you, I believe that's the experience of the child of God, is that they go through life, they don't see themselves as better and better. They see themselves as lower and lower. And I think about things that I did and things that I said and things that I wish I hadn't done and things that I wish I hadn't said, and I don't want to do it my way. I wish I could go back and do it Christ's way. If I could just have that word that floated out of my mouth when I didn't catch it in time because my emotions were in control. If I could just be under the direction of the Spirit of God. In those moments when I have hurt feelings and I have hurt people, I would not do it my way, child of God. I would go back and do it God's way. But we can't do that, can we? We only have now. Time is a funny thing. We can't go back and relive what we did and redo what we did, although we relive it very often, don't we? But we can go forward today being careful, trying to serve God, looking to the great gathering one day when... Every sad thing will come untrue. In the final culmination of the handling of God's house, the master of the house will bring the sum of everyone that he loves together. He's the great economist. To have an economy, you have, must have an economist, one who is in control of the economy. And the one who is in control of the house of God is the Son of God. And even he has subjected himself to his father, his father who owns and has built the house, so to speak. The great economist, the great accountant, will add up the sum of the people of God and make sure that they're all there. And every sad thing will come untrue. You've had differences with people in this life. You've gotten crossed up. Who hasn't? If you, if you haven't, you haven't lived. This person hurt my feelings. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done this. We all live in that. I've joked and told you before about my experience of getting kicked out of my Bible study that I started in high school when I was in 10th grade. And I was a real sore tail about that. (laughs) I didn't go back. And I told mama, I said, I can't wait to get to heaven one day because I'm going to tell that little girl that got elected president in my Bible study over me. You know, she was a Southern Baptist. I was a primitive Baptist. (laughs) I can't wait to get to heaven because I'm going to tell her, I told you so. Let me tell you something. When Christ comes, there's not going to be anybody going around in heaven saying, I told you so. The only thing you can come the closest to would be Christ going around saying, I told you so. (laughs) It's all about me. And there's been many of God's children that have woken up and their eyes have opened in heaven to realize who their Savior is. You see, the great economist, the great steward of the house is Jesus Christ. In the Adam Clark commentary, 
He says that this is the same, this dispensation is the same as our word economy. And it signifies the plan which the master of a family or his steward has established for the management of the family. And child of God, throughout history, we have the thread of redemption where the master of the house, the great economist, is going to bring everyone, all of his children, back together. The word gather right there goes right along with dispensation or economy. He says that in the dispensation or in the economy of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. The word gather means to sum up. It means to add up or to bring different sums together. Listen to this definition. I love this. I believe this was from Webster's 1828. It says... To add up, to bring different sums together and fractions of sums as to, so as to reduce them under one denomination. <laughs> now, if you're thinking churchy this morning, you're thinking, oh, denomination. That's talking about fractions and figures, you know, the numerator, the denominator. <laughs> I just think that's funny. God, when we are gathered in heaven, is going to bring all the sums together and all of the fractions of sums, you know, the little ones, the big ones, the big whole numbers and the little bitty that seem to be nothing. He's going to bring them all under one denomination and it's going to be christ it's not going to be primitive baptists and southern baptists and free will baptists and catholics and all these different it's not going to be that way in heaven we're going to be under one household and it's going to be christ only god can do that i think about how few people outside of our congregation i think about how few people out in the denominational world even want to talk about the word of god they're scared to talk about the word of god because they're afraid to talk about what they're not too sure of And then what in the world? They might be wrong. You know, they might find out that there's something that's incorrect. Listen, there's so few people that talk about the Word of God. You understand? I'm so glad that you like to talk about the Word of God. I want to talk with you about the Word of God. That's what God has called me to do. But when we get to heaven, we're not going to have to worry about who wants to talk about it, who doesn't want to talk about it. We're going to be united in Christ. The word gather, it also means to sum up as an orator or somebody giving a speech would sum up at the close of their discourse. It makes the main point. It's the chief thing. It also makes me think about making a closing statement in front of a jury. That's when you sum up everything about your case. That's what this means, except it's in a physical way. I want you to listen to this now. This earth that we live on was separated from the other worlds because of rebellion. You don't ever hear about a star that has left its orbit. You don't hear about a moon that jumped out of orbit. Even the universe, the universes, follow in line with the mandate of God. But here we are on this little ball of yarn, this little earth, and you have rebellion on this earth. Think about how... You go out there and you want to look at the Big Dipper. It's always there. You know why? Because it's in compliance with where God put it. Go out there and look at the Little Dipper or look at one of the constellations or look at one of the moons. If you've got a telescope that's large enough, years ago, Brother Harold brought over a a telescope that he had and we looked at Saturn. You could actually see the rings of Saturn. It was amazing. Such order. And it's always going to be mathematically where they predicted it's going to be. You know why? Because it's in compliance with God's mandate. And then you've got Earth. (laughs) We're on this Earth. People are in rebellion. Humankind is in rebellion. Earth is separated from the other worlds because of rebellion. But God's going to set it right again. You know, this is a theme of Jesus throughout the Word of God. If you would look over to Matthew, the 13th chapter, one of the parables of Jesus. I want you to hear this. This is in verse 24. This is in one of the seven parables that Christ gives to the people there. Now, let's go through this very quickly. Matthew 13 and verse 24. And we're talking about the dispensation of the fullness of times. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, 
The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Now he's saying my kingdom that exists in this world is like a man that sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder, are y'all with me? The economy of the house, the servants of the householder, the administrator of the house came and said to him, sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field from whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, an enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. But let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now aside from a good agricultural lesson right there, they didn't understand what he was talking about. So he gives them specific information about what he's talking about in verse 36. When the multitude went away and they went into the house, his disciples came to him and they said, Declare unto us the parable of the tares in the field. We want to know what you're talking about. Now watch this. You cannot misunderstand this. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. That's Christ. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. God's children. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest... Is what? The end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. We usually focus on the parable of the sower. That's the first parable he gives. But that is so clear, is it not? That is a parable, a teaching that Jesus gave about the end of the world. When the dispensation of the fullness of time would come. Whenever the householder is ready to gather all of his children back into his house. I want you to notice in Luke, the 13th chapter, Jesus is speaking of the same thing. And look at verse 29. This is where Jesus is talking basically to the Pharisees, telling them about how he's going to gather up his children. Now, there is some local application of this as children of God, like the Gentiles, were going to be coming into the church and enjoying the church. But there is a long-term application too because there's no question that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they are going to sit down in the kingdom of God one day, bow down when all of time is ended and all of God's people are gathered together. And look at what he says in verse 28. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out, he's speaking to the Pharisees, and they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. It sounds like a gathering, doesn't it? And shall sit down in the kingdom of God. The word sit down, the phrase sit down is key right there because it means to recline. There's nothing I enjoy more than when everything's been done, all the dishes have been cleaned after supper, all the chores have been done, and we just go and we just, I just sit in my recliner and I recline and just rest and have some repose for a moment. This is the image that's given of God gathering all of His children into His house. And there they will recline. They won't just recline. They will bow down to the Son of God. John Gill said, All things were once united in Christ. And the word here signifies in Ephesians to restore, to renew, to reduce to a former state the restoration and renovation of the universe. He's going to put it away. It's going to be a culmination and a finishing of what was here. Now, in that time, every sad thing will come untrue. 
Sometimes it's hard to find a relevance of this future event to our here and our now. And it should not be that way. The resurrection and the gathering of God's people together one day, which is secured by the resurrection of Christ. You say, can it really be? It really is because of the resurrection of Christ. The gathering and the resurrection of God's people to be gathered in one house, the house of God one day. It just sounds too good to be true. So when the Lord comes back and He initiates this gathering, as you see in the parable, it says that He would send forth, in Matthew it also says that He would send forth His angels to gather His elect from the four winds. The gathering, you see? Everything is headed towards this gathering when we come into the house of God. Now if you think there's not a relevance to that, then you just haven't lived long enough to experience pain and loss. As I stood by the side of my father's bed two years ago as he left this world, that was on my mind, the gathering. I'll see him again. I'll be with him again. Listen, whenever we went to the graveside over there on beautiful sunshine afternoon up there in Decatur, and we stood there as Mr. Winston was interred, as his body was interred. You know, he's not there anymore. But as we stood there, I thought, the resurrection, this grave won't hold him. You see, you only need to experience loss in life to ever have the resurrection to become relevant to you. And it just sounds too good to be true. The reason it is true is because of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I remember several years ago, there was a young woman who died in a car crash. And she was a senior in high school. And they called several of the local ministry to come down to the school because they were going to break the news to the senior class and also to the rest of the school. By the grace of God, I was one of the ones that was called to come down along with seven or eight others. And we gathered in the library for the senior class. A lot of young people in there, a lot of seniors in there. Some who were very close to this young woman, but some who were not very close to this young woman. And as I sat there and looked across the crowd, I knew some that were very close to her. And I knew some that probably maybe never even had spoken a word to her. And yet they were all grieving. They were all crying. They were caught up in the moment of grief. And I remember standing there looking at them and the principal and one of the other teachers said something and the the teachers were standing up at the front of the library. Uh, Sister Heather probably remembers this. The teachers were standing up at the front of the library and all the students were sitting out there and it was just a silence, just a quietness there after somebody had said something. Okay, guys, you know, we're here if anybody wants to say anything. And of course, you know, nervous high school students are not going to say anything. <laughs> and so there was just this moment of that wasn't very comfortable, of just silence. And teachers just stand, and preachers just standing there looking at the young people. And the young people, just many of them whimpering, crying, very sad. And I remember thinking in my heart, i got to do something. <laughs> and nobody probably remembers this. And the thought occurred to me, what would our Lord do? What's He going to do at the gathering? He's going to go around and He's going to visit and speak with every single child of God. I don't know how that will play out because there's a lot of children of God. But I'll tell you this, you don't need to be worried about time because time will be no more. (laughs) I don't know what that means. I don't understand how that works. I just know it's going to work. I didn't know most of those young people there, but I began to go around to each one and just put my hands on their shoulder, tell them I love them, I'm praying for them. We're going to see her again. 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 It's the resurrection, you see. It's the only hope that we have. It's the resurrection, the gathering. When all things will be put away and everything will be gathered together in one in the house of God. 
He said, what will we be doing up there, Brother Tim? I'll tell you one thing we'll be doing according to Revelation. We'll be singing a new song. In Revelation 5, we read in verse 9 that they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Kindred just means family. There's at least one child of God in every family on the face of the earth from the dawn of time until now until the end of time. You know, in my house, I believe there's several. I believe they're all children of God. And in your house, they may be all children of God. But this says that it is out of every kindred, out of every family. That means there's been at least one child of God in every family that's existed since the dawn of time. That's a lot of people. Preaching the gospel to somebody and trying to get them saved by preaching the gospel is not going to get that many people there. You see? But God's sacrifice and the gathering one day will get them there. Out of every family on the face of the earth. Right now, based on that, in every family on the face of the earth, there's at least one child of God. You see that? That's amazing. And that's a lot of people. Out of every kindred and out of every tongue, every language that's ever been spoken has had children of God that spoke that language. And it says, and people and nation. Every ethnicity and every nation that has ever existed. There's been nations that have passed off from existence that it took a long time for history and archaeology to catch up with them. There were nations that are named in the history, in the word of God, that archaeologists and historians for years said never existed until they dug deep enough and they found evidence that those nations existed. And those nations that have existed and passed off the face of the earth with hardly any knowledge had children of God in them. And they will be gathered at the gathering. We'll sing a new song, Thou Art Worthy, to take the book. It says in First John, it says, we will know as we are known. I don't know exactly what that means, but it sounds good. <laughs> we'll know a lot more than we know now. Yesterday, Sister Abigail, I was showing her some videos off of an old video camera that I finally found the charger for. That's another one of those things that was put back into place. The charger was lost. So I was able to watch some videos from 2016. I was showing it to Sister Abigail. She was like, I don't remember that. See, I was filming right there. She said, I don't remember that. This is accurate. This is scientifically accurate that everything you've ever seen from the time of a baby all the way down to the time that you leave this world, it's like your brain is a camera that is taking that impression. It's in there. You may not be able to recall it, but everything you've ever seen has been imprinted upon your brain. And there's a file in there, if you will, that has that in it. Every good, every bad thing that's ever been is in your brain. You just may not be able to pull it out. It might take a video camera to say, oh yeah, I remember that. And you might say, I don't even remember that. But rest assured, everything is in there. And when you know as you are known, you're going to have total recall when you see the Lord. You're going to remember everything, good and bad. You say, well, Brother Tim, if I remember all the bad stuff, how in the world am I going to be happy in heaven? You're going to be happy. You're going to be joyful because the householder, the great economist, has made sure that those things that should have been counted against you and prevented you from being in his house have been paid for completely at the cross. You see? So even if you remember, you're not going to be worried about it. It's just going to cause you to praise him more and more. You're going to have total recall. You will know as you are known. And then you'll see them all. You'll see everyone. Most of you were at the Christmas party the other night whenever I read the text that Sister Holly sent me of, of Sister Kate's dream where she had a dream during all that COVID stuff that was going on that Brother Chris and I had rented out the Cypress Inn, the big pavilion, and we were going to have a big get-together, which I still haven't marked that off the list, Sister Kate. Brother Chris and I may still do that. 
But in the text, in the dream, Sister Kate said that she saw us all there. We were all there. We were all smiling. We were all visiting. We were all fellowshipping. And we were all enjoying one another's company, even those that had passed on. I tell you, that is a dream and a half right there, isn't it? I wish I could dream like that, Sister Kate. I'm still dreaming about being fourth down and we're down two touchdowns. Or I'm not making it to class on time and my advisor has told me that I'm going to flunk out. I hadn't got the right class. That's what I dream about. Lord, help me. I wish I could dream about things like that. I tell you, it's not a dream. It's a reality. We'll be gathered together in that great pavilion by the river of life in the sky. And every single child of God will be there. Granddaddy McCool will be there. Granddaddy Springer will be there. My dad will be there. All the ones that are going to leave us this year will be there. All the ones that have left us in the past will be there. Why? Because the great economist, Christ, who is over the house of God, has tallied up the total of his people. And he will ensure that they will be gathered from all corners of the earth. (laughs) You know, there's even one of the places in one of the Gospels that says something about them being gathered from the four corners of the earth and the sky. It speaks of the sky. (laughs) So don't worry. If they finally set up a colony on Mars, if they set up that colony on Mars, the Lord's covered that. He's going to get His people that are on Mars too, are floating around in the space station. It's not just going to be from the earth. He's going to get them from wherever they are. Living or dead, He will have His own. Won't that be great? This has been the theme of all great literature, the restoration, the return, the setting right of things. And now the question is, what do we do until we get there to that point? Second Peter 3 answers that resoundingly. Second Peter 3, as we close our thoughts here this morning. What do we do? That sounds great, pie in the sky, Brother Tim, you know, but what about now? Second Peter 3, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, both to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. That ye be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last day scoffers, like those historians and philosophers and writers that I related to you this morning. There will come scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water, and in the water whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. That's speaking of the first economy, God's first economy, which was the days of the flood. There was an economy that existed, a way that he ran his house in those days. And you see what he did with that. He ended that economy. Then he started another economy with Abraham. And then in the days of Moses, he started still another economy whenever he gave the law. And then when Christ came, the last economy was put in place with the great economist over that, the householder, the steward of God. And it says, whereby the world was then being overflowed with water perished, but the heavens and the earth, which are now, that is in this economy, by the same word are kept in store. You don't have to worry about global warming. You don't have to worry about your vehicle causing the world to crash and come down because the Lord said, seed time and harvest shall not pass until he comes back. And in this economy, it says that the world is reserved and kept in store under fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly man. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all of His elect, all of His children should come to repentance. You say, what are we waiting for? Why doesn't He just come and end this mess? It's because before the foundation of the world, the Lord wrote the names of His children in the Lamb's book of life, and He will make sure that every single one of those children are born into the world and born again by His Spirit, and then it will all be over with. That's what that's talking about right there. When the last child of grace, the last heir of promise that was written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world, when he or she is born again, then it's over. 
You say, what's the Lord waiting on? He will not miss one person, one child, one man, woman, or child in the gathering. So we continue until the dispensation of the fullness of time has come to an end. There's an old song that I love called Green Pastures. It says, going up home to live in green pastures where we shall live and die nevermore. Even the Lord shall be in that number when we shall meet on that heavenly shore. As the Lord comes into his house, Hebrews tells us that he will say, Behold, I and the children which thou hast given me. Every little child that was aborted by the abortioner's knife that belongs to the Lord. Every person that lived in some foreign country behind the Iron Curtain, behind the Great Wall of China, behind whatever political obstacle may prevent them from ever hearing the name Jesus Christ. The Lord will walk into glory one day and say, Behold, here they are. I've got them. Now, let me ask you, who's going to get the glory in that situation? Only the Lord. (laughs) He says... The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then, he said, what do we do till then? Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hastening into the coming of the day of the Lord, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heavens and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, see that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. He said, what do we be doing between now and then? Be diligent that ye be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Waiting for the gathering. It's coming. The Lord has made sure of it. And in the dispensation, in the household of God, in the economy of The working out of that household, the great economist, the great steward, the great householder himself has made sure that he would gather all things that are in heaven and all of his people that are in earth and bring them all together under one house. There's nothing that I enjoy more than having everybody together. (laughs) Oh, if we could just have everybody together. If you don't have a desire like that, then you should never be a pastor. (laughs) I've said, wouldn't it be great if we just had everybody for communion sometime? Wouldn't it be great if nobody was sick and everybody could make it? You know, and that's never happened. I'm sad to say that's never happened. I keep hoping it might. (laughs) But I can assure you of this, that we will all be gathered with the Lord one day. We'll have that great communion in the sky. This past week, I was visiting with a dear widow lady who was in great distress. Her husband had passed. I was not even there for that. I was there for some other business. But I could just tell she was in such distress. And she was at a roadblock. She could not get around her husband's death and feeling like she somehow had contributed to it. And and not that she killed him or anything like that, but just the circumstances that led up to his death and his care or lack of care, she just felt responsible. And I realized what a burden that was to her. And I just told her, I said, listen, I said, let me just talk to you, not business. Let me talk to you about what really matters. I said, you've got a roadblock in front of you. Every time you think about the death of your husband, you're thinking about what you did or what you didn't do. You can't get around that roadblock. And I said, dear sister, I want you to know that the Lord Jesus Christ has taken away that roadblock. You don't need to be thinking about what you did or what you didn't do when he took his last breath. You need to be thinking that when he took his last breath, he immediately took an eternal breath. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ has removed all roadblocks that lead back to his house. We should rejoice in that. The gathering is coming. Might be today. And I say to you, like I heard Brother Obey who passed from this life too quickly. Every time he would leave someone, every time he would go away, every time, just about every time he stepped out of the pulpit, he said, if I don't see you, 
again, I'll see you in the resurrection. We can say that to each other. If I never see you again in this life, God has assured, the householder has assured that we will meet again in the resurrection. That is something that we can live by and it is something that we can die by, the gathering. And until then, you can gather yourselves into the church of God, which is the bastion of truth while this world and this dispensation of time still stands. You have that opportunity as we stand and sing.